Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. And now we'll be reading from 1 John uh, chapter 1 um, verse 5 through to chapter 2 verse 2. If you open your um, Bibles with me. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for all for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, as was mentioned, uh, we're just doing a short series this week in the opening parts of uh, 1 John. Uh, Yesterday, we looked at the fact that doctrine matters, especially the doctrine of the incarnation and uh, uh, the the wonderful truth that Jesus, the eternal life, was with the Father and appeared to us. Uh, The us there is the apostolic witness, of course, and uh, the the apostle says that uh, he and the other apostles saw this word, heard, and even touched Uh, So fully divine and fully human, the doctrine of the incarnation we saw is so important for our evangelism, our fellowship with God and each other, and the way in which the incarnation brings us great joy. Now, today's passage opens with another reference to God, and uh, this this time it it, um, declares, the apostle declares that God is light. See verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Um, Certainly it's a fundamental truth, and John underscores it in a couple of ways. He says, uh, this is what we've heard, and we declare to you, he says, positively, God is pure, unadulterated light. Negatively, uh, he puts it emphatically, in him there is not a speck of darkness. So this is John's message, and he wants us to take it to heart. Now, light, of course, is a central defining Um, image or or metaphor uh, of God in the Bible. It's a constant of his character, and uh, it's just as uh, central to who God is as his love and his justice. Uh, I think the metaphor and lights uh, can be taken in two ways, And, and as it turns out, 1 John has both. So God is light can be a symbol of revelation Those who lived in darkness have seen a great light, Matthew 4, quoting Isaiah 9. And even in 1 John, we see this, 1 John 2, verse 8, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So there's a sense in which God as light is about his revelation. 
The other sense is that God as light can be a symbol of his perfect holiness. Think of God as holy, holy, holy in Isaiah 6, quoted in Revelation 4. I think in the context of our passage, it's the perfect holiness, the moral purity of God that the apostle has in mind. The passage is not about our illumination, but our sanctification, if you like. And the question behind all this is, how can we live in the presence of the God who is light, who has perfect purity? Or to use the language of verse 7, how can we walk in the light? Now, um, when I became principal at Ridley, I mentioned a couple of things that might be a problem for me. And they said, oh, no, that's not a problem. The problem is you're from Sydney. So uh, the Sydney-Melbourne rivalry, of course, runs very deep. And as it turns out, I'm a heretic when it comes to this debate. I actually like both cities. I know that's not uh, what I meant to say, but uh, that's the truth. Um, Sydney has warmer weather, but also damper, more humid weather. And cockroaches are a one difference between the two cities. So uh, if you've never been to Sydney or north of the border, you've no idea what a cockroach is like. Uh, cockroaches are bigger and faster in Sydney and certainly more numerous. Uh, if you turn the kitchen light off at night, you can guarantee there'll be some activity in the kitchen in the darkness. And when you turn the kitchen light on in the morning, if it's a dark morning, they'll be scampering away from the light and you usually have to have a rolled up newspaper ready. Do your best to clear the kitchen. So if you're into movies, think of the final scenes of Men in Black, the first one. So. Um, our passage gives four responses to God as light, and the first three are really cockroach responses. Human beings are prone to act like cockroaches when it comes to the light of God's perfect holiness. They're signaled with the words, if we claim, which appear in verses 6, 8, and 10. There's some wonderfully uh, repetitive uh, aspects to one John, I'm sure you've noticed, and this passage is no different. So if we claim, 6, 8, and 10, let's look at them briefly. Uh, so God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. When we run from God's light like a cockroach, we, we engage in three devastating lies, the Apostle John tells us. If we run from God's light and live in darkness, we are hypocrites and lie to others in verse 6. In verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, I would say, to others and do not live out the truth. Now, one thing you're not often told, but I guarantee, is that anyone who takes on a role in Christian ministry of any sort will be subjected to scrutiny. Everyone has an opinion about you. Uh, when you pray, when you preach, people will be appraising you, assessing you. And uh, that's true of uh, church ministry, campus ministry, uh, ministry in the workplace. It's true if you're a college lecturer and certainly true if you're a principal. Now, one way to respond to this is to be defensive and to try and look the part, to keep up appearances, to hide your weak spots, your inadequacies, your failings, to project an image of the kind of perfect pastor, chaplain, Christian in the workplace or principal, to parade our fellowship with God and to cover up that soft underbelly of the truth that we're not actually shining examples of Christian workers. Uh, to let people know in subtle ways about your discipleship, your sterling witness, your generosity, your wisdom, all the while covering up the reality that we each struggle in various ways and our discipleship is at best patchy and pretty unimpressive. 
when we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in the darkness, we crave the approval of others and pay no attention to the approval or gaze of God, wondering how others perceive our prayers instead of wanting to pray directly to God and please him, longing for the approval and appreciation of our sermons. Uh, there's nothing worse than preaching on Zoom because how you went in the sermon is very evident in the chat afterwards. Yesterday I achieved a rating of two compliments in the chat. Uh, Colleen Arnold Moore last week had six and above. Even John Dixon got three. So uh, you can imagine how I felt. Let's not forget that Jesus reserved his harshest condemnation for hypocrites. He, in Matthew 23, calls them blind guides whitewashed tombs, people who shine the outside and on the inside, they're filthy and dead. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie to others and are hypocrites and we fail to live out the truth. Uh, friends, we're not to think of ourselves as professionals. We're ordinary Christians and we're not to hide from the scrutiny of others and most importantly, from the scrutiny of God. Um, it's good, if you can, to find some friends who don't treat you in your role. So I have one or two friends I meet with regularly, uh, one I've known for most of my life, who uh, don't ask how's Ridley when they see me. They, they ask how I am, and, and they know me well enough to know my failings, weaknesses. So let's be praying for integrity that we might walk in God's holy gaze and not hide in the darkness like a cockroach. Secondly, if we run from God's light and live in the darkness, we're self-deceived and lie to ourselves. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So it's one thing to lie to others. It's pretty pathetic to lie to yourself, but that's exactly what this uh, verse is telling us. We can pretend before others and end up pretending even to ourselves. So how on earth does someone claim to be without sin? Well, it's a kind of gradual thing. Basically, over time, uh, you look to others and uh, you're hard on them and easy on yourself. There's lots of ways in which humankind has invented to avoid owning up to your own sin. We take really good things and can turn them bad. For example, the social justice movement, which attempts to address terrible discrimination and prejudice in our society, is kind of prone to this in some ways. The social justice movement does this. It divides humanity into three groups. Those who are oppressed and marginalised, victims. Those who are the loyal allies of those people and those who are the oppressors. So it's very convenient if you can identify one of the first two groups because then you can look at the third group and say, well, they're the ones who are the problem in society. I'm not the problem. I'm a loyal ally or I'm the one being oppressed. When the reality is that all of us have our distinctive failings. The oppressors may well be prone to prejudice, discrimination, bigotry, nepotism, but the oppressed can easily fall into irresponsible laziness, entitlement, destructive envy, even bitterness. Their loyal allies can be guilty of self-righteousness, bullying and groupthink, and all three groups should be wary of pride, greed, sexual exploitation, selfish ambition, corruption, violence, deception, ruthlessness, malice, and raw self-interest. Jesus said to his own disciples, you being evil. It's a pretty hard thing to hear, 
but it's the truth about all human beings. Micah 6 verse 8 is a wonderful verse all of us will know. What does the Lord require of you to act justly? All of us uh, think uh, acting justly is important, uh, but we need to heed the rest of the verse, to love mercy, to not condemn others, to be light on others and harder on ourselves, if anything, and then thirdly, to walk humbly with God. Um, if we live in the darkness and run, run from God's light, we might think we're doing the justice bit, but the truth is we forget to love mercy and walk humbly before God and admit our own faults. Thirdly, if we run from God's light and live in the darkness, in verse 10 it says, and this is most significant in our passage, if we, in verse 10 it says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Not only do we lie to others and lie to ourselves, but we lie to God. Such people say they've overcome the darkness, and by doing so, we deny the truth of the incarnation, which we saw yesterday at the beginning of chapter one. The sun came, as we'll see in a moment, to cleanse us from our sins, and we insult God directly by contradicting his claims about us and imply that he's deceitful. Uh, now, note two in verse 10. It's the apostle's most serious claim. His word is not in us. Uh, in 1 John and John's gospel, not to have God's word in you is to be an unbeliever. 1 John 2.14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. John 5.38, you've never heard his voice, Jesus says to his enemies, nor does his word dwell in you. Uh, friends, to see no need to own up to our own sin is to raise serious questions about our salvation. A Christian, by definition, is someone who knows their need for God's mercy. So how do you respond to the fact that God is light? It's a massive problem, isn't it? Because as 1 Timothy 6.16 says, uh, that God lives in unapproachable light. And uh, you, could, you, you can understand why we take strategies like cockroaches and run from that light. But two more if-we's give us the answer to this enormous question in life. Uh, and the answer is we must confess our sins and walk in the light. And there's great encouragement in these verses for doing just that. Verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And verse 7, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Notice the repetition of the verb to purify. If we confess our sins, we'll be purified. And in verse 7, if we walk in the light, we'll be purified from all sin, cleansed and purified. Uh, one thing I've missed in the last couple of years in this uh, pandemic has been going on a bushwalk. So uh, right throughout my life, I've been on bushwalks, uh, overnight ones, where you put everything on your back and head off into the bush. And uh, certain things about a bushwalk happen every time. We always get lost at some point. Uh, we always almost tread on a snake and uh, think, oh, my goodness, what if we'd done that? What would we have done? And the answer is I don't have a clue what to do. 
Um, but there are three things I love about a bushwalk. It's very clear. So the first thing is, after you've walked for the first three hours, you take your pack off. You just feel light as air. Such a wonderful feeling. The second best thing about a bushwalk is eating an orange after walking for three hours. It just tastes so different. It's like uh, you've um, uh, done an upgrade on your computer and everything's much sharper and more sensitive. And the third thing is after a few days in the bush, I can tell you, you're not exactly clean. You come home and you have that shower. And by the end of the bushwalk, you are looking forward to a shower. I can tell you the worst thing about the bushwalk is getting in the car to drive home with the other bushwalkers because the odour is something else. So I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but when you finally get home and have that shower, it's just such a wonderful feeling. You're fully aware of the caked on filth, the odour and all the rest, and you're cleansed and purified. This is one of the joys of the Christian life, to know that God is light and he lives in unapproachable light, and yet to walk in the light, purified and cleansed from our sin. Now, uh, friends, we must confess our sins and walk in the light. As verse 6b puts it, we must live out the truth, because that's the truth about us. To deny that we have sins to confess is to engage in three terrible lies. We must stop hiding from God's bright gaze. Now, preaching on holiness uh, is always to speak to two sorts of people. And this is one of the problems with speaking on holiness. You speak to some people who have a tender conscience and immediately feel convicted. Yep. And you speak to some people who are uh, have a good deal of self-belief and confidence and uh, um and, and don't really take it to heart. So you've got the sensitive on the one hand and the complacent on the other. The latter might think too lightly of their condition, uh, but the former might despair unnecessarily. So uh, I think it's lovely in verses, in the opening verses of chapter two, which we read, that John reassures all of us. He says something to both groups. He says, my dear children, notice the affectionate tone in which he speaks with them. I write this so that you will not sin. The ultimate goal is not to be forgiven. It's not to sin. So John's not wanting us to forget that. But the reality is we do sin. If anybody does sin, and that's all of us, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So the normal Christian life is not to be one of despair or complacency. Uh, it's a great encouragement, friends, to remember that our conversion is described in Paul's letters as being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We belong in the light, and Jesus lives to ensure that we can stay there in God's holy presence. Uh, each of us must appear before the highest court in the universe. And the judge is God, who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And he demands perfect holiness and righteousness from us. The good news is that we have the best lawyer in the universe to plead our case, 
to speak to the Father on our behalf. His plea is unanswerable. Since in the atoning sacrifice for our sins, our sentence has already been discharged. The price has been paid. Jesus is both our atonement and our trial lawyer. The purpose of the incarnation, which we talked about yesterday and John so eloquently expounded in the opening verses, is not to impart some esoteric or ecstatic or strange experience, but to deal with our sin and save us from condemnation and judgment, to enable us to walk in the light of God's presence now and forever. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Friends, don't be a cockroach. Don't run from the light. Don't lie to others, yourself or to God. Walk in the light and shower regularly.